I'm really loving life fully remote, to be honest. I just naturally gravitated towards engineering. I told all of my friends that I wanted to do something different. I started as an intern, and within one year, I became a manager at the firm. There was literally no cryptocurrency exchange platform, and it took me about 15 minutes to make a decision. Nigerian founders are some of the most passionate people you would ever come across. And over the next um, one month, we had over 800 businesses that joined the waitlist. From the beginning of the call, it felt so much like an interrogation. It was one of the most shocking for the average um, black What's up, Unfound Nation? Dan Kihanya here, your host for Founders Unfound. Thanks so much for listening in. That was Wale Ayodele out of Lagos, Nigeria. He is co-founder and CEO of FlickPay, a company that helps businesses send and receive payments globally. It's June 2020, and here in the U.S., we are still wrestling with how to balance re-engaging the economy with a seemingly persistent presence of COVID-19 and the coronavirus pandemic. Protests, unrest, and tough conversations are happening all over the country and all over the world. And everyone from corporate America to tech giants to investors are evaluating seriously the ways that they can impact racial inequity in their companies and in society. We encourage all of you and Unfound Nation to find a way to get involved and take action. This challenge will take all of America to address. Learn and listen, speak up and donate, participate. Our episode is sponsored by Valence, great new community for black professionals. They have a special offer for Founders Unfound listeners. Find out more in the show notes. As always, you can find our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Founders Unfound. Feel free to drop us a review on Apple or Podchaser. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, on with the episode. Stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented backgrounds. This is episode number 14 in our series of Founders of African Descent. I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Wale Ayodele, co-founder and CEO of FlickPay, a company that helps businesses send and receive payments globally. Welcome to the show, Wale, and thank you for making the time. Thanks for the introduction, Dan. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really glad to be here. Great. So you're based in Nigeria and not untouched by the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's start off with how are you doing? How's your family? How are things overall there in Lagos? Well, uh, Lagos is um, slowly getting back to um, its peak. So just yesterday, right, um, the the new ruling on the lockdowns, um, I think the curfew has been reduced to just 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. So slowly, um, businesses have recovered, right? But my family and I have like remained indoors, working from home now for the past um, three months, I guess. Well, it's, it's been pretty interesting. The last couple of weeks um, has been pretty interesting and relatively peaceful, I must say. Well, that's good to hear. It's a pretty amazing thing we're all living through right now. And I imagine even in Nigeria, it's been pretty amazing and events unfold and you have to deal with them day to day. And I'm glad to hear that everybody is safe. And it must be amazing to try and run a small startup with uh, everybody being remote. 
Well, um, that 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 was um, initially a, a little challenge for our team, but I mean, I, I guess the previous experience that we had was really helpful for us. So before before COVID nineteen, my team was used to working two days on site and three days remotely, right? But transitioning to a fully remote team um, had its bit of challenges, but. We, we've been able to optimize most of our processes and, you know, I'm really loving life fully remote, to be honest. I don't think I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, we're definitely going to get into that then for sure a little bit later. But first of all, let's let the audience understand exactly what is FlickPay? How does it work? Okay. So um, just like you um, explained earlier, so FlickPay, um, we help businesses and financial institutions send and receive um, payments globally, right? And we, we do this using cryptocurrency as a mechanism for our transactions, right? So essentially, businesses that use FlickPay can now accept, accept payments in their local currencies or using cryptocurrencies, and we instantly settle them in any currency they want to, right? And, you know, we do this reducing costs by 6%. And in terms of the speed of settlements, we bring down the time from about two weeks to five minutes in some cases. Yeah, it's an amazing product. I think you really caught fire on something here with FlickPay. Uh, so, but let's first start off with understanding a little bit about you. So, did you grow up in Lagos? Yes, I, I mean, I was born and raised in Lagos, lived there virtually all of my life. And when you were growing up, what was your ambitions? Okay, so growing up, when my very early ages, I wanted to be an accountant. Right, but by the time I got into high school, I think my priority had changed. So I, you know, I wanted to be an engineer. What made you? What made you want to be a an accountant? So I, I guess my mom always used to tell me that I love math and I love to do calculations, and you know, I felt like accounting was the best use of my talents back then. Ah, and what made that shift to engineering for you? To be honest, right, I had a really weird childhood, right? So um, at some point in my childhood, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do anymore. So I just looked at the strengths I had while I was um, young. You know, I was very good with sciences and, you know, mathematics and stuff. So I just naturally gravitated towards engineering, but not for any strong will or passion. Did you know anybody who was an engineer? My brother. So it could have uh... been my major influence. Yeah, my brother was an engineer. He, he, an older brother? Yes, my older brother. Two years older than me. And so did you start your career in engineering? So, yeah, I, I did. Um, I started my career um, in engineering, actually. I did a very short um, internship with Chevron. But shortly after that, I, I realized that engineering wasn't where I really wanted to practice. So there was a bit of confusion for me, really, you know, studying mechanical engineering, doing an internship with Chevron. And, you know, I wasn't, I was so sure engineering wasn't the path for me. So, you know, I literally made a career switch from engineering to marketing just one month after graduating from the university. Wow. That must have been an interesting discussion with your family, you know, sort of that you're on this path. And like you said, your brother is sort of already on that path and has sort of laid a roadmap for you. And then you realize, hmm, I'm not sure this is for me. Maybe I should do something different. How did you, how did your family take that? To be honest, this is not a very strange thing in Nigeria, right? Because like most people today, and, and that is probably a reflection of the um, labor markets after school, right? So you find that most people end up doing something completely different from what they studied in school, right? So, you know, someone being an engineer and ending up in the bank 
is not a strange thing at all in Nigeria, right? So in fact, you would find people who maybe even studied like um, languages, like. So, but what gave you the confidence that you could just sort of switch? I mean, engineering is a pretty intentional path, I would say, right? It's, it's, you have to study different topics and master certain concepts. What gave you the confidence that you could switch to something like marketing? Okay. Um, so I guess I, I just looked at, um, I looked at the skills that I had, right? I, I just looked at the skills that I had and I've always had this belief, right? That with anything anyone wants to do, right? All you just really need, really put your heart to it. You will be able to figure it out. So in my own case, um, immediately I graduated from school. I told all of my friends that I wanted to do something different. So I was open to internships. So I was very lucky to get an um, opportunity to intern as a um, data analyst at a marketing firm. So but within a few months of working as a data analyst, um, I, I was showing a lot of passion for a lot of marketing stuff they're doing back then. And I became one of the key account managers within the first four months. And, you know, that led me to managing accounts for telecoms giants like Airtel, MTN. So like it was really an amazing experience for me. So I, I started as an intern and within one year, I, I became a manager at the firm. Wow. <laughs> that is quite a rocket ship uh, to be on. Did you stop and pause at any time and say, wow, this is this is easy or I can't believe that I'm making so much progress? I mean, how did that journey feel? So it was a really, really exciting journey for me, right? Because uh, like, I, I went to work every day and I knew that the challenge that I had to face like, was something that I never, ever thought I would be doing, like especially all my years through school. But I mean, like, I had a very, very um, amazing boss. You know, she she really helped me settle into the role. And I mean, it's been really, really smooth since then. And to be honest, I haven't, I have hardly had a break since um, I started on this course. Wow. So tell us, how did you move from this apparently successful start to your career in marketing to the financial services world that you're in today? All right. So it's, it's a really um, funny story, actually. So my relationship with my boss um, back then, you know, it became a very, it became a bit more personal than just the work stuff. So we had an idea together to start up a new business. So we wanted to start um, an Accor production company in Nigeria. So I worked on the business plan. You know, we already started making plans to, you know, get this off the ground. And I had an opportunity to join one of the biggest African banks, right? So this was off um, an application I had done like a year ago. And when this opportunity presented itself to me, it was it was a bit of a conundrum or a dilemma, I would say, because it was a bit of a dilemma because like this was a very, very good opportunity to not pass on. And on the other side, um, my career had been taking off so fast in marketing and I was literally about to start a new business with my boss. But we had um, sort of an agreement, right, where, you know, I go to the bank for a couple of years, you know, while I get some more structure, you know, the learnings from the bank would really help me in whatever business or whatever career I continue to take from them. So I, I feel like that was the major turning point for me, you know, the decision to actually um, let go of my career in marketing and, um, and business to go to the bank. So I, I, I guess that was a big deal for me. Was the business idea uh, a financial services company, the one that you were working on the business plan for? Okay, no, no, actually something different it was to start um, an alcohol production company. Ah, right, right, right. So essentially, 
your boss slash collaborator said, you know, let's keep working on this idea. But in the meantime, why don't you go and get some other experience with this opportunity with the big bank? Yeah, exactly. I went. How did that feel, though? I mean, were you were you conflicted? It was a, it was a very big decision to make at the time, right? Because I, like I I was opposed to the decision back then, and like she was so insistent that even in our own career, one of the things that really helped her was getting that um, corporate experience, that experience of actually building a proper structure couple of years and she felt that that was something I really needed to have because like I was really, really bound for the world of entrepreneurship, right? So at the end of the what made that decision for me was, you know, thinking about it's like the amount of years I had ahead of me, you know, getting that experience right now, like this might be the only opportunity I might have to work in in capacity in that capacity. That's the way a lot of entrepreneurs think, I think. The idea that I'm going to use basically my corporate experience or my non-entrepreneurial experience basically as skill building and experience building that'll feed the entrepreneurial journey. Yes, that, that was exactly how she put it to me. And yeah, and, and it turned out very right. Yeah, well, there you go. So you spend two years at, at this bank and obviously you get exposed to the world of finance and technology and how those intersect. So what happens next? Okay, so um, it was this was a very curious morning, and um, one of my very close friends called me, and you know it was onto something really big, and I was like, okay, we had been talking about cryptocurrencies, you know, we had been into cryptocurrency trading, and this wasn't popular at all in Africa back then, and then called me and he's like, so you know, well, yeah, I think um, we need to build a platform that would enable Africans buy and sell cryptocurrencies. You know, I felt it was such a crazy idea, right? Because there was literally no um, cryptocurrency exchange platform in. Nigeria back then and it took me about 15 minutes to make a decision to leave the bank. 15 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really crazy that morning. It was, um, I, I got the message by like 5 a.m. and 15 minutes later, I, you know, replied I was in and um, within one month, I left my job and, you know, we started building some Quidax. Wow. And so to, to tell me though about that, what was going through your mind? I mean, how did you, how did you make that decision so quickly? I mean, what was the thing that said, I got to go do this? I'd, I'd actually had, uh, been very keen on cryptocurrencies um, for a while, you know, being in the bank and really understanding the structure of how financial flows are. And, you know, even just understanding the concept of cryptocurrency. You know, the value to bring for Africa, right? That was like one of the really key things I talk about. But even much more than that um, was the trust I had in my friend, right? So this is someone like, you know, someone like I could literally trust with my life, right? And if he would, you know, say we should start something together and he was so certain and willing to take that risk, right? I trusted the idea. I trusted him. And I, I guess it was um, a very easy decision for me to make, um, considering the um, so wow. Wow. That's uh, so, some some sort of inspiration definitely must have lightning strike at that point. Uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty quick time to process that. That's impressive. So something must have been inside of you ready to go, ready to to make this leap to move so quickly like that. That's amazing. And so then you start your entrepreneurial journey and tell us what was what was that like? I mean, what was that experience like? So it was, for me, it was like, it was a very similar experience to when I started um, with marketing, right? Because it was an entirely new journey because working in a startup and not just any regular startup, right? A cryptocurrency exchange in Africa, right? Where 
probably just one of the first five cryptocurrency exchange platforms in Africa, right? So there was not a lot that we could learn from. So it was it was a whole new experience. You know, my first time working in tech, and I had to take up um, roles that I'd never had any experience with before. So I was leading products at Quidax. So I was the chief product officer and was also leading business. So I had to do a lot of learnings, um, a lot of 18 to 20 hour days. You know, learning, speaking to people, um, reading up stuff, researching other platforms, talking to users. And, you know, it was like almost an entire year of, you know, doing that before we we're able to finally come out with the product. Right. And I would say, I think that's one year is probably the, the most grueling like years of my life, right? Um, one year of my life in terms of the amount of time or literally grinding, learning things, you know, staying awake and, you know, just trying to get everything, you know, that I really, really appreciate that. Um, experience for me today is such a huge experience. Yeah, I can imagine. I know what it's like when you when you hop into the startup world for the first time, the startup is insatiable in terms of its need from you. There's never enough time in the day. There's never an end to what you need to learn, what you need to focus on, what you need to understand and execute against. It's usually a shock to the system and you can gradually get into it and then Sometimes you're just thrown into the fire. Yeah, <laughs> you're very right. So how, how long were you on that journey with that first company? Okay, so um, I was with Squidax for two years. I was with Squidax for two years and a couple of months. And, you know, very, very interesting couple of years. And before I started flipping. Okay, so we will take a short break to hear from our sponsor. And we'll be right back with Wale Ayodele from FlickPay. Hi, this is Victoria Tinsley from Valence, a new tech platform and community focused on connecting Black professionals globally with mentorship, career opportunities, and capital. We're excited to offer all Founders Unfound listeners prioritized access to Valence. Use the link in the show notes to receive access to your free membership and follow us on Instagram at Valence Community. During these uncharted times, Valence is here to help. If you're one of the many people in our community who just lost an internship, a job, or are just looking for some advice on what moves to make next, Valence just created the Boost Challenge. Join Valence and request a Boost, a brief but potent one-on-one mentorship opportunity from some of the most talented and influential Black leaders in the nation, such as Derek Ali, Arlen Hamilton, Boris Kojo, and many others. Do you have knowledge to share? Offer a boost to fellow Valence members and help lift us all to new heights. Join the challenge today at www.valence.community slash boost challenge. So we're back talking with Wale from FlickPay. So Wale, when we took the break, you were talking about your first startup. Tell us a little bit more about how you transitioned from that startup to FlickPay. For for me, I think the story from Quidax to um, FlickPay was pretty was I think the most seamless career move um, I'd ever made, and I guess that's because of how similar the industries are. So the founding team at Quidax was I, I guess was very played a very key factor to how that experience was for me. I would say like we're four co-founders at Quidax, and all four of us were very close friends, right? So we had known each other for a couple of years. We all went to the same um, university, you know, like we're basically friends, living together and um, building something really amazing. So, you know, we're growing like really, really fast. 
back then were literally the only Nigerian crypto exchange then. So, but we started, I started to notice something, right, from my cap, from the kind of businesses that were signing up and um, the way the transactional flows were, right? It appeared to me that a lot of the volumes that were getting and a lot of the demand were from our customers that wanted to buy cryptocurrencies and use them as a means to pay their importers in Asia, in China. People wanted to fund their gaming wallets with crypto because um, they couldn't use PayPal or any other of the uh, funding options available, right? So this got me very curious, right? And I started to really look into it like, okay, so aside from people who just wanted to trade cryptocurrencies for the speculative reasons, there are actually people who, are, who found real use cases in making payments using crypto. And so I, I believe that this was something that was so interesting because in Africa, right, it's well documented on the lack of infrastructure that we have, especially with um, access to basic financial services. And then for on the large scale for businesses, right, there's such a big issue with businesses trying to receive payments from other countries countries or trying to make payments from other currencies. And on the other hand, we have cryptocurrencies that have all these properties that allow people to do it so easily. So I believe that if an infrastructure was built that would enable people to make payments using cryptocurrency, this would really help in solving a lot of these issues we have in Africa. So the next step for me was to just to do like a simple experiment. I put out a landing page with a wait list, angel lists or flip pay for businesses to sign up to receive crypto as payments. And over the next um, one month, we had over 800 businesses that joined the wait list. You know, the interest was uh, like really crazy. 800? Yes. So we had 800 businesses without any marketing um, join the wait list. So um, like it, it looked like this was something that had to be built. So that was how FlipPay started. So, but tell us, how did you go about the decision that that needs to be a separate company from Quidex and how did that separation go? Okay, so that's um, separation um, really went smoothly. Um, and, and I guess that would be attributed to the relationship I had with um, my founders. Uh, because in, in with with the direction that we had at Squidax and what we wanted to build, right? At Squidax, we didn't only just want to build a platform where people could buy and sell cryptocurrencies alone. We wanted to build an infrastructure for um, people, for other um, businesses to access crypto services, right? Because like we, we have a huge bet on how like cryptocurrencies and the future on finance and all of that. And for us to really enable that, especially for Africa, we shouldn't only be able to bring individuals to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. The focus was on getting businesses and other fintechs to be able to access cryptocurrency wallets on their platforms and things like that. So in the direct, in terms of the direction Quidax had and um, what FlipPay was, it just didn't seem like something that should have been part of um, the company. So I, I think it was a pretty, you know, trying to um, start FlipPay as a completely um, separate entity. Interesting. And so, so you decide that this needs to be a separate company and you have a amicable, sounds like an amicable, uh, separation with Quidax. Where did you, where'd you go next? How did you find team members and collaborators to, to try and get this thing going? So starting Fleet Pay, right? I, so there's David, my CTO today, who I've been really close to for about six years already. In the past, we had worked on a bunch of projects together. So we had a software advisory firm that, you know, majored on building softwares for banks and, you know, major telecoms companies. So we had done, we had worked on like some small projects in the past and, you know, we developed a very, very close relationship. 
So when I was um, setting out to start ClickPay, um, got together with David, spoke about the idea, and like funny enough, it was something that he had already been thinking about. So it was an idea I was really passionate about, and he was actually going to build a product out of it. So it just made a good um, made good sense for the two of us to team up and um, start ClickPay. Between um, then and now, I think David and I raised raised a very early round from um, a local angel and, you know, we pulled in some capital and, you know, that's been the journey so far. So tell us more about how it's working. So give us an example of a customer and how they would use ClickPay right now. Okay. So typical customer today, right, could be um, an e-commerce platform, right? So we have um, we have um, e-commerce platforms that have customers from all over the world and are unable to make payments to buy stuff on the platform. So they can now integrate ClickPay and at the point of checkout, they are, the customer could now pay with their credit card, their debit card, or they could also pay through cryptocurrencies, right? And once that payment is made, the platform gets the local currency value instantly, right? So if the, if this business is located in Nigeria, for instance, so anybody from Brazil, from the US, from anywhere in the world, could actually pay through cryptocurrency and that um, store owner gets the Naira value for that payment instantly without um, any risk of chargeback, without any risk of fraud. Interesting. And so uh, for those who don't know a lot about cryptocurrency, I mean, what's sort of the pent up demand, I guess? How do you how do you think about, like you said, the people who want to use credit cards, debit cards, PayPal, whatever, other wallets? What's the opportunity with people who want to spend with cryptocurrency? Is there a kind of a market assessment or is there a, a way to think about that? From that, one of the key things that we did very early on was to really highlight the niche markets that we wanted to target. And we found that the people who have the most need for cryptocurrency as a form of payment today are the people who are literally frozen out from the current payments um, infrastructure that exists. So you find um, people in the gaming industry, right, trying to fund their gaming wallets, take towards cryptocurrency because like cryptocurrency enables them to do this very easily without paying so much fees from regular card providers or in a lot of cases so I just give you an example of the issues that we face so in africa you can't africans can't access paypal to uh, make payments right and even platforms like stripe aren't even supported in africa so most um, platforms today that want to be able to serve like a wider range of people without having to go to the pain of integrating with different payments um, networks in all those currencies can easily use cryptocurrency and there is so much demand in the gaming sector, in the e-commerce sector, and especially for financial institutions as well. And I, I think that is the most curious case for me because um, financial institutions are now able to make cross-border payments and cryptocurrency reduces the costs and makes the settlement time a lot shorter. Can you give us some reference point for that? The, what's the difference? Okay, so um, in terms of how we compare with um, regular payments rules, um, a transaction between um, Nigeria and, and Germany, for instance, the using um, a platform like TransferWise and using a platform like FlickPay, uh, our rates are um, 6%. The cost of transacting on FlickPay is about six times cheaper than doing that same transaction on TransferWise. And where it would take about seven hours for that payment to be settled on TransferWise and about five days with the bank, using FlickPay, that transaction could be processed in about five minutes. Five minutes versus five days? Did I hear you right? 
Yes, and in some cases, it's actually as bad as two weeks. Um, when, um, especially when you use like the Swift network to make these payments. Wow, that's impressive. So when it's that dramatic a, a change in benefit, you must have people that and companies that are coming to you. How has the demand been? I mean, you talked about the sort of catalyst for the company being this this idea of building a wait list and demonstrated demand. How, how has been the growth of the customer base? So our growth has been like our growth has been pretty pretty huge since we actually launched our products. In terms of the volumes we process, right? In the last nine months, we processed about um, over fifteen million dollars, right, in, in payments, and and that has been on a thirty percent month on month growth. And right now, we we have a lot of the most of the biggest payments companies in Africa on our wait list um, to get on the get on our cross-border payments network. So like the traction has been really crazy. So in the last two months, we actually um, doubled our um, user base. So we've been growing really fast. And I, I would say a lot of that has um, been through, been because of the changes that we made to, the changes that we made to our platform after Textiles. Interesting. And so that's a lot of growth in just the last two months. Has the COVID-19 pandemic been something that has affected I mean obviously you talked about the the impact on your structure and being remote and your team but in terms of the business has it been neutral positive a challenge how how would you view its impact on your business if you can can assess that so uh, I think covid-19 actually impacted our business positively and and that would be because of the uh, macroeconomic factors so for for cross border payments right um, essentially there are, there are factors there are factors that affect the pricing of those payments like the availability of fx um, by the government so in nigeria for instance most of the outbound um, cross border payments that are made are funded by fx provided by the government so covid-19 caused a lot of um, economic issues so that would mean that most currencies were devalued so most businesses that were holding a lot of these currencies for settling transactions lost so much money. Um, and then the exchange rates and the pressure on most local African currencies were really, really high. And that's, that means that um, the banks are no more a feasible way to actually move this money, right? So in fact, there is almost no liquidity to do some of these transactions. And using crypto as a way to um, settle this transaction has, has even become a lot more imperative. So I think that's one of the things that's really driven the um, demand for our products um, as well. Nice. So tell us, what's the future? I mean, where does this go? How big can this get? Where, what's your ambition for FlickPay? Okay, so our ambition for FlickPay, right, over the next couple of years would be to open up to 50 different um, currency corridors and um, get to a point where different financial institutions um, across the world can now connect to our network to get instant settlements for payments in all these currencies um, that we support. And how big, how, like if you had to put a number on that, is that millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars potential? What do you think? Right now, we, we're processing something between two to $3 million. Um, but from our projections, we, we expect that to um, go as high as $500 million monthly in the next two years. Wow. Amazing. Amazing stuff. We're going to take another short break and we'll be back soon with Wale from Hi, this is Victoria Tinsley from Valence, a new tech platform and community focused on connecting Black professionals globally with mentorship, career opportunities, and capital. 
We're excited to offer all Founders Unfound listeners prioritized access to Valence. Use the link in the show notes to receive access to your free membership and follow us on Instagram at Valence Community. During these uncharted times, Valence is here to help. If you're one of the many people in our community who just lost an internship, a job, or are just looking for some advice on what moves to make next, Valence just created the Boost Challenge. Join Valence and request a Boost, a brief but potent one-on-one mentorship opportunity from some of the most talented and influential Black leaders in the nation, such as Derek Ali, Arlen Hamilton, Boris Kojo, and many others. Do you have knowledge to share? Offer a boost to fellow Valence members and help lift us all to new heights. Join the challenge today at www.valence.community slash boost challenge. We're back with Wale from FlickPay. So Wale, great story with FlickPay. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, you mentioned Techstars, um, and that's kind of how we met. Tell the audience about your experience with Techstars. You went through the most recent cohort, essentially as the coronavirus epidemic was taking off. So what was the experience like? So um, my experience with Techstars has been nothing short of beautiful. I mean, like it's one of the best decisions we've um, made for our company in the, since we started. I, I mean, I guess Corona could have affected it, but I mean, I was very, 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 very lucky for um, the amazing team and how they were able to manage the switch to a fully virtual program. So I think about three to four weeks into the program, we had to really go virtual due to the um, impact from the lockdowns. But in terms of the um, the network that we've been exposed to, it's been really, really, really amazing. So Texas has introduced us to so many um, mentors that you know helped us think about things um, in a much better way. You know, like with the design thinking workshops and, you know, all of the hands-on approach that you get from the entire um, Texas team. It's almost as if you are like part of like a new family. So yeah, it's, I mean, I would recommend Texas to so any, any startup, any African startup to get into Texas. Wow. That's a nice endorsement. What, what do you think was uh, the biggest challenge once the program went uh, remote, essentially? I'll say when, when the program uh, went remote, well, the biggest challenge has been um, connecting um, with the other founders in the cohorts, right? Because like one of the things that I was really looking forward to uh, was, you know, those connections with the other cohort members, you know, but being fully virtual all the time, few times we had to interact, you know, would mostly be on um, official calls. But, you know, the Texas team really tried. We're still all able to bond. And even till now, like we're still all friends. And that I, I think that was the greatest challenge. But in terms of the value that we're getting from the program, I don't think um, COVID-19 affected that in any way. That's really good to hear because probably for the foreseeable future, a lot of these programs will have to be virtual and remote. And I would imagine, like you said, one of the biggest challenges is that you're in this collaborative learning environment with other entrepreneurs and not being around them or in that day-to-day sort of common physical space uh, would present some challenges, but it sounds like Techstars is adapting. So tell us about your fundraising journey. So you talked about the fact that you raised some angel money initially to get FlickPay off the ground. Are you thinking about raising money? Have you raised other money? What's that experience been like for you? Um, so we, we're currently um, in a fundraising process. Um, um, in terms of the experience, I, I, I think it's been going as well as it gets, especially considering the global situation, um, the global economic situation. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty confident about the round. We've gotten 
commitments from, you know, really good investors. Um, we've raised some funds from Techstars and, you know, a bunch of other angel investors committed as well. So I, I believe over the next couple of weeks, we'll be um, having some um, announcements on completion of the round. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful news. That's good to hear. So tell us, though, I mean, one of the things that I think is a challenge for founders of African descent, both here in the U.S. and probably in Africa, do you view that you're perceived or your opportunities perceived differently, being that your your foundation and your sort of headquarters and your origin comes from within Africa and Nigeria? Okay, um, so Flickpay is actually headquartered in um, Toronto, right? And, and perhaps that could be one of the reasons why it's a bit easier for us. But I'm, I'm, it's, but I must say, the raising money as a platform, uh, it, it's definitely there's definitely an effect, and and you could actually see it. So there are lots of funds that you know would not even invest in um, African-focused companies um, by default, right? And maybe that's like 40% of of the people you would you would be speaking with as a black founder. And, you know, you would have cases like situation I had very recently of a, of a potential investor that actually committed and, you know, um, speaking with some racial undertone. So, I mean, it, it's, it's actually pretty difficult. So I, I know that even though we have had it a bit easier for us at Flippay and, um, that's, um, a lot of that is due to the business we're operating in and, you know, some of our unique, um, circumstances, right? But for the average um, black founder, it's not very easy. It's, it's, it's really big thoughts raising raising capital. Yeah, I, I mean, and as I talk to other founders, I mean, this seems to be a common refrain. So you mentioned the this last experience. Can you un- unpack that a little bit? You said that there was some racial undertones with that. Yeah, so um, it was yeah, it was a re- very recent experience I had actually um, a couple weeks back. You know, so I I mean, I was expecting the usual where we you know talk about what we're trying to build and you know go through some of those like really important things. But you know, from the beginning of the call, it felt so much like an interrogation. You know, I hardly ever had any time to speak, and you know, we made like actually made some the um, the VC actually made some comments. You know, about how you know you hate Germans. You know, I, I would really not like to um, go so much into it because it's not a very um, nice experience to you know, really. Sure. Wow. So an investor felt comfortable enough to just lay that out there for you or at you. It was it was one of the most shocking conversations I've ever had. You know, it was it was so terrible. And this is already after like weeks and weeks of conversations and you know already commitments made. You know, this was like really at the final stage speaking to one of the partners and. I mean, I was I was certain that I couldn't work with that kind of firm, so I had to pull out of the deal five minutes after the call. It was was it was a very bad experience. Wow, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, and unfortunately, you're right. It's more common than a once in a while thing, so it's still out there. It's still a challenge. So, have there been? Any organizations, individuals, mentors that have been beneficial to you or have helped you along the way, uh, especially as a, a black founder? So uh, I would say Techstars has been like one of the most impactful um, organizations I've, I've had to work with in the past couple of years, right? So I would say, I would say Techstars. Techstars has been really uh, impactful. They've, you know, exposed us to lots of mentors that really, really helped us um, along our journey. Like you, Dan, of course, um, you know, one of the, one of the mentors and, and Shimani, Sarah, you know, it's, it's, I've had like some really amazing mentors from the Techstars network that have been really, really helpful along um, the journey so far. 
That's good to hear. So uh, you mentioned that the company was, was is headquartered in Toronto. How, how did you decide as Toronto for uh, headquarters? Okay, so um, Toronto was, um, I mean, was very, very strategic for, for Nickbay. And, and that's because of the, you know, when we're setting Nickbay up, we, we, we already had like a vision for um, the company we're trying to set up and the regions wanted to work in. So, um, and in terms of regulation, so we're getting regulated in, in Canada and, you know, operating out of that structure, uh, out of the Canadian structure for the global products we're building. You know, having a structure from Canada, from Nigeria, that does like very, very helpful for us. Makes sense, especially with the the fintech industry. Like you said, you have to be strategic just because of their regulatory aspects and the ability, especially like you said, your company's focused on cross border and and the ability to to have payments and money that can exchange between regions. I would imagine you have to be very strategic about where your governing headquarters um, or the the regulations that govern your headquarters are. Very true. So uh, tell us, Wale. So one of the questions we like to ask is a retrospective question, so to speak. So if you could go back, let's say to pre your startup journey, so maybe when you're working at the bank, uh, and talk to that version of yourself, that Wale, back you know a few years ago, and give him advice from this Wale, the 2020 seasoned entrepreneur, in terms of how to go about starting the journey, what, what kind of advice would you give him? Well, I, w- I would say um, to um, read more. So, you know, I, I only started like reading um, a couple years ago, right? But so I'd have loved to have started reading like a lot earlier, but I mean, it's never too late. And um, another thing I think I'd have liked to learn was how to code. I think that's one of the skills I'd have liked to learn. Um, I mean, it's it's still something I plan to in the next couple of months and years. I mean, depending on how um, things turn out. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's always uh, easy to go back in hindsight to say these things. So I, I find it interesting to hear what people have to say about their mentorship of themselves. I guess one question that we can we can kind of wrap up with is we have a lot of audience here in the United States. What's what's one misconception that people have about business in Nigeria? But another another way to think about it is what's something that people don't know about Nigeria that you wish more people knew? Oh, okay. So I, I wish more people would know about the um, passion of Nigerian farmers. So like Nigerian farmers are some of the most passionate people you would ever come across, right? They would be willing to like literally do anything to um, ensure uh, their business succeed and grow. So, I mean, you know, working out of so, some tough conditions sometimes, you know, it, it really takes a lot of grits for, um, to really keep trying on. And I really, really would love for people to know that about us. If you are any indication, Wale, you're certainly a positive data point on that fact for sure. Well, this conversation has been so great. I really appreciate all the time. But before we go, why don't you tell the audience if there's a way to get a hold of you or to find out more about FlickPay, how would they do that? To find out more about FlickPay, um, you can just head out to flickpay.com, F-L-I-Q-P-A-Y.com. Or, so yeah, you could, um, and then you could also um, pick me up at wale at flickpay.com or that's W-O-L-E at flickpay.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a great conversation. We really appreciate it. All right, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. We'd like to thank our guest, Wale Ayodele, and our sponsor, Valence. 
Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or simply go to foundersunfound.com forward slash listen to. That's listen, T-O. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Founders Unfound. This podcast was produced by Dan Kihanya. Social media and other promotion by Umama Marzouk. Our music was composed by Neil Cross, Blaine Green, Enrique Molano Jimenez, Arguiris Otas, Marshall Usinger, Michael Vignola, and Bruce Zimmerman. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.